today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We've seen these songs of praise and we are reminded again of how good you are and we are just so blessed to be, to be so loved by you. And we pray today that as we delve into your word, as we think about what you have to say to us today through your word, that we will be encouraged, that we will be convicted, that we would again be blessed, and that we will respond uh, with just joy and worship and praise unto you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Uh, we were there last week, and uh, we were just kind of in Sermon on the Mount just a little bit, and... Uh, we're not going to be going verse by verse, but we'll be skipping around a little bit. But we did want to spend a little time in the Sermon on the Mount. And yeah, I said it last week, just a little quick reminder that the Sermon on the Mount is, you know, it's teaching by Jesus. Um, and it's three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it is just packed with great, great stuff. Obviously, it's, the teacher is Christ, so obviously it's going to be great. But as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we are reminded of Moses, we're reminded of Mount Sinai, we're reminded of the teaching God gave through Moses uh, in the Old Testament. And we are seeing in the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus is the true, the greater Moses, that God used Moses to bring his people out of slavery. Obviously, Christ is, he brings us all out of our, our slavery to sin, uh, if we are his people. And we see God using Moses to teach his people what it means to be a child of God. And we see in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ kind of taking that teaching to a different level as he shows us what it means to be blessed of God, to be children of God, and what it means for us to be blessed in that way, but also what, what our calling is, how we are called to live for the Lord. Now, in this passage, we are following the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes, I think I shared last week, just means blessings, and we have a bunch of blessings, and interestingly, it ends with persecution. If you look at verses 10, 11, and 12, it talks about being persecuted. Blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you hear that, you might not feel that great. It might not sound like a blessing at all, but then it might maybe tempt us to say, you know what, if the world is going to persecute me, I don't want to have anything to do with the world. I, don't, I want to run away from the world. I don't want to care about the society that I'm a part of because I don't want to be persecuted. That doesn't sound that great to me. And yet, Christ then, right after those verses on persecution, talks about how we are called to interact with the world, how we are called to be a blessing in the world that we live in. And he talks about being salt and light. And these are pretty well-known verses. I think many of us here, I'm sure, have heard these verses, maybe memorized them before, and maybe there's a certain familiarity you have. And yet maybe 
You're not really sure what that even means to be salt and light. So today we're going to look at these verses, think about what does it mean when Jesus calls us salt of the earth and light of the world? How does that impact me? How does that impact our church? So three points today that I'm going to go into. And the first is that Christians are called to be salty. Secondly, Christians are called to be lit. And lastly, Christians are called to be a city on the hill. Right? Christians are called to be salty, Christians are called to be lit, and Christians are called to be a city on a hill. And the first thing is we're called to be salty. You know, interestingly, I think a number of years ago, I was, I think, talking, I forget if it was a youth group student or a college student, and she said to me, Pastor James, I'm, I feel very salty right now. And I had no idea what that meant. So I said, what? What does that even mean? And, I, you know, she was just kind of explaining to me just negative vibes, right? Or maybe a little bitterness, unhappiness. And then, at first I heard that, I was like, oh, that's an interesting word. And then maybe a few days later, another, uh, I think, youth group or college student, some, someone who was young, a lot younger than me, says to me, I'm salty with God. And I said, well, yeah, well, what does that mean? What does it mean you're salty with God? And she said, oh, I'm not happy with God right now. And she was trying to explain to me what that meant. So then I, of course, proceeded to explain to her how theologically incorrect she was to say something like that, while at the same time trying to be compassionate and loving. Um, but, you know, we can use the word salty like that. And obviously, when we use the word salty like that, it's a negative connotation. Or we could say, oh, the food is so salty. I don't like it. And so when you think of salt, I don't know how, many, how often it's a positive connotation. And yet, here, Christ says, you are to be the salt of the earth. And then he says, well, if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It's like strong words. But God, Jesus, what do you even mean? And I think, actually, you can go on and on about what does it mean to be salt. But there's three things within this one point I want to highlight. And salt, first of all, is a preservative. Now, I don't, when I first read that, it was weird to me because I don't really think of salt as a preservative. Why? Because we have refrigerators. We have freezers. So what do we do? If you have something, you know, you, you don't want to finish it, you put it in the fridge. Or if you want to keep it for a long time, you put it in the freezer. I remember when I was in college, my parents, uh, they, you know, they live in Korea. And so every time my mom would come to the States, she would make me a lot of meat. And she would, like, marinate it. And then she would look at me and say, do you, do you know how to cook this? <laughs> I'd be like, Mom, so I just put it in a frying pan. I could do this. But then I would put it in the freezer Right? And you, it keeps long. Sometimes I would actually leave it in there too long, and I felt maybe I shouldn't eat it anymore. But the point is, we could put it into a freezer, into a refrigerator, and it keeps. Back in their days, no refrigerator, no freezers. Some people would obviously dig a hole in the ground and try to keep it cold. But generally, especially with me, what did you do? You took a lot of salt, and you just rubbed it all over. And what did that do? That kept it from disintegrating. That kept it from rotting. And so, when Jesus says, you are salt of the earth, one of the things he's talking about is we are called to be preservatives. Well, what does that imply? Well, that implies that our world is rotting. That implies that our world is in decay. And that, I think if you think about it long enough, that's true. Right? There, there's a lot of problems in this world, and there's a lot of bad things happening. And Christians, as children of God, we are called to be salt in the sense that we are called to be preservatives, 
to keep the world from decaying even more, from rotting even more. Well, what does that mean? I think in part, it means just the way we live. If I live as a Christian, if I live as a Christ-like, looking at Christ and trying to emulate Christ and become like Christ, and if I live a Christ-like life, just my presence alone should be somewhat of a preservative. Maybe I go into a room and there's a very inappropriate conversation, but just the fact that as a Christian, when you're in there, people know, oh, this, I don't want to talk like this in front of them. Maybe we're in business and there's some unethical things going on, but knowing that this person is an ethical person, someone who seeks to do things the right way, maybe it changes the culture of that business. And we can go on and on, but there are ways that we can obviously be preservative just by the way we live, living faithfully as a Christian, following you know, the Lord and all that we do, but also we can be preservatives by obviously sharing the gospel, by trying to, trying to share about Christ with people, and as people change, right, hopefully we make a bigger and better impact upon society. And also, obviously, as a Christian, we, when we see injustice, when we see the poor struggling, the hungry wanting them to be fed, when we see injustice wanting there to be justice and mercy, and just faithfully trying to be a witness for the Lord would help us to become preservatives. But salt is not only a preservative. When we think of salt, honestly, what do we think of? We think of flavor, right? We think of food and how good it tastes. And if you ever eat anything bland, how do you feel? You, you don't like it. So you put a little bit of salt. If you put too much salt, it might not be that great, but you put a little bit of salt. I know this past week, you know, some people took me out, and they took me to, um, I don't know how to say it in English. I know Korean, which is called Solongtang, right? It's like, I don't know, my friend used to call it bone marrow soup. I don't know how you could <laughs> translate that. But, and, you know, the whole key to the soup with, you know, broth and meat is the right amount of salt. I actually remember when I was in seminary, one of the brothers I knew tried to get some of our non-Korean friends to eat this. And he literally said, guys, let's go get some bone marrow soup. And I think everybody thought it tasted, it sounded terrible, so nobody really wanted to eat it. But whatever we're eating, the amount of salt, it makes a difference. It adds a flavor. And if you put just the right amount of salt, it brings the, the flavor of the food. It brings us joy, right? It makes everything delicious and nice. As a Christian, when we're called to be salty, in a sense, it means we have to have flavor. I think some people think of Christians, especially, especially Presbyterians, as very dark and gloomy and joyless, right? When we think of Presbyterians, I don't know why, why that is. You know, no one's really praising the Lord that well, and everybody's kind of serious. But as a Christian, we should have flavor. We should bring joy into people's lives. Just being around us should hopefully make people happier, and we should be able to, just in the way we live our lives, being Christ-like, loving, being kind, right? Being humble, just being a blessing to others, we should add, hopefully, a good flavor. That when we are around, people like it. That they want us around. And they say, why are you so joyful? Why, why do you help us bring us peace? What is it about you that's special? And that, hopefully, will be a witness in and of itself. But being salty, not only does it mean preservative, flavor, but it also, what does salt do? It makes us thirsty. Right? If you eat anything salty, what do you reach for? water, soda, right, whatever it is that you want to drink, you reach for something that you need. That's why if you ever go to a buffet, I don't know if you've noticed this, every buffet you go to, everything is salty. Why? 
Because they know if they make you salty, we're going to drink a lot more. And obviously, if you drink a lot more, you're going to eat less. It's a way to make more money. But salt leads to thirst. So what does that mean as a Christian? Well, it means if we are salty, if we are showing Christ with our lives, if we are being a preservative, if we are having flavor that is Christ-like in people's lives, then hopefully that will make them thirst, not for water, but for the living water, for Christ. And so as a Christian, we want to be salty. We want to be a preservative in this world. We want to be at flavor, bringing joy, we're bringing a blessing to those around us. But being salty also means we want people to be thirsty for Christ. Am I living a life that shows Christ, that blesses others so that people are being thirsty for the one who gives living water, for Christ himself? And so we are called to be salty, but we're also called to be lit. Right? Jesus says to be light of the world. That's another word. First time somebody said to me, they said, that's lit. This was back 10 years ago. And I was like, what does that mean? And they were trying to explain to me, it just means, you know, everything's great and whatever. But we're called to be light of the world. So not just salty, we're called to be lit. Well, what does that mean? Now, when we hear you are the light of the world, to be honest, what I think of automatically is Christ who says that Jesus, he himself, is the light of the world. And when you think of, when you look, study that passage where Jesus says that, we, we see the connection to the book of Exodus. We see the, you know, the pillars of smoke and fire where God, you know, his presence was with the Israelites in the desert. And we see that pillar of smoke, the pillar of fire during the day and the night, and it's a pillar of fire that protects the Israelites from the Egyptians, but also it's that pillar of fire that leads the Israelites across the wilderness, across the desert, to the promised land. And we see a connection with that to Christ who says, I am the light of the world. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, we know light dispels darkness. We know light shows the truth. So what do we know? We know that Christ is the light of the world who came into this world of darkness. We know that, you know, in our sinfulness, we are going towards condemnation and death, and yet Christ comes into the world. He changes everything. And obviously, when we trust in Christ as our Lord and our Savior, his people are forgiven, we're saved, and we have eternal life. And so we know that Christ is the light of the world that we need in this world of darkness. But then Jesus says to us, to his people, he says, you are the light of the world. Well, how does that even make sense? If Christ is the light of the world, how am I the light of the world? And a scholar named um, Dr. Bernhouse, famous man, he gives an illustration about this, and he says, Christ's light is kind of like the sun, in a sense, right? It's a star. So when you think of, when you study, you know, astronomy and things, obviously any star, including the sun, gives off its own light. However, we're more like the moon. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we have the sun, it's out, it's bright. Obviously, right now, we have the sun out, when it gets dark at night, the sun goes away, but we have light through the moon. But we know this, that the moon does not have light on its own. The moon does not, you know, create light. What, what is the moon? moon is like a mirror. The light of the sun reflects upon the moon, and obviously we see light. And when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's not saying that it is our light in a sense. We're not like Christ 
qualitatively speaking, but what are we doing? We are called to reflect the light of Christ. And that's important. That means my life should show Jesus. When people meet me, right, they should hopefully see a glimpse of who Christ is. When I'm loving someone with the love of Christ, they should hopefully feel the love of Christ. When they hear my words of kindness, right, when, they, when I'm trying to be a blessing to others, when I'm being compassionate, hopefully they would get a glimpse of who Christ is and hopefully my life would be a witness to Christ, the way I talk, the way I act, the way I serve, maybe even the way I might rebuke somebody, the way I'd be a blessing to somebody. Hopefully all of these things that I am doing is showing not how amazing I am, but it's showing how amazing Christ is. And so we are called to be a light of the world. My life should show Christ in all that I do. And, and I do it in a way where it says here, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Think about it. If you have a city on a hill, a very high hill, you can see it for miles and miles and miles, right? So, for example, you know, one of the things about Jersey that is actually nice is you get a really great view at night of, of you know, the Manhattan skyline. You know, it's, it's nice, especially if you go towards the West New York area. And I've definitely driven by there and taken people that aren't from the area down that way. And it's, it's beautiful, right? It's these high buildings and it's all, you know, it's bright lights. Or you could look at it from the other direction, from either Brooklyn or Long Island City. And, and it's nice. Why? Because these are high buildings and they're lit. And so when you're even from far away, you can see it. In that sense, a city on a hill can't be hidden. But also, if you have a lamp, if you have a lamp in your house and you put it on the floor, it only lights up that little area. But obviously, if you put it up high in a basket on a stand, then it gives light to all the house. Right? That happened in our house where our kitchen light went out. And I, you know, being the man of the house, I said, honey, don't worry about it. I got this. I got a new bulb. I changed it. And it wasn't working. And then I said to my wife, I'm all out. <laughs> I don't know what to do at this point. And so we, you know, we eventually had somebody fix, just took the whole fixture. Something was wrong. We fixed it. But until then, I said, I got to do something. So I bought, a, I bought a camping light. And I, and I was trying to figure out a place to put it before we fixed this light. And I just put it as high as I can on top of the fridge. Why? Because you want the light high to, to light up the whole area. What is Jesus saying? If you are the light of the world, if you are reflecting my light, don't hide it. You know, as a Christian, sometimes... We might be even embarrassed about our faith. We might be embarrassed of being a Christian even. And maybe we don't want people to know that we're a Christian. And he's saying, you are the light of the world. You are a child of God. You're a disciple of Jesus. So you want your light to shine. You don't want to hide it. How can you be a blessing if nobody even knows who you are? You want to be a blessing by shining Christ's light, reflecting his light, and be a blessing to others. And primarily, if you look at verse 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He's not saying grab everybody on the street and start evangelizing to them, and, but he says primarily through your good works. Let them see your good works. If they know who you are, 
If they know you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, if you are my disciple, obviously the words that you use, the actions that you do, as they see you, see your good works. Let it be a blessing. And hopefully that will bring glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that's a question. How do I live my life? Am I living like Saul? Am I living like the light of the world? Does my life portray Christ or is my life honestly a hindrance to somebody from wanting to be a Christian? I don't know how many times I've heard somebody tell me that when they say, when they try to evangelize or share about Christ, they'll say something to me like, you know, I think I would go to church, but I know some Christians and they're not good people or they're annoying or they, they turn me off or I used to go to church and the people in the church really hurt me and and I've heard this story so many times. Every time I hear it, it's heartbreaking because we are called not to be a hindrance to Christ, but we are called to be a witness to Christ. We're called to be salty, but we're also called to be light of the world, showing Christ's light, blessing others the way Christ has so richly blessed us. And we realize when we say we are salt and we are light, obviously, again, we are being witnesses to Christ who is the salt, right? The light. Jesus is the one who preserves. Everything would disintegrate without Christ. But obviously, from Christ's work on the cross, his death, his resurrection, he has defeated sin, death itself. We know that it is Christ who truly preserves, and that's why we need Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. Christ is the one who truly brings flavor and brings joy brings peace, brings blessing. Christ, obviously, is the one that we're thirsting for because he is the one that we need. He is truly the light of the world that dispels the darkness. He is the one that we truly need. And so, again, as Christians, if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, what are we called to do to show people more of Christ, to be a witness to him as salt of the earth, as light of the world? But lastly, the passage says, that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And I want to share a little bit. To be salt and to be light is not an individual thing. Jesus is not saying, hey, you, by yourself, you disciple, you Christian, you be a salt and, you know, and just really just bring flavor and be a preservative and you be a light and shine your light upon everybody by yourself. Because think about it, a salt, like if you have one little, what do you even call that, grain of salt? That doesn't do anything. You put one grain of salt into your soup, right? Nothing. You, you have to have a bit of salt in there. And the point is this. When he says a city set on the hill cannot be hidden, a city is made up of, obviously, many people. And so when we are called to be salt, when we are called to be light, he's not just talking to us as individuals, but as a collective, as a community, as a body of Christ. The church together is called to be salt of the earth. The church together is called to be light of the world. We together should bring a flavor that shows Christ. We should help people bring joy and blessing. We as a collective, as a body of Christ, should be a preservative. We should fight injustice. Our presence should be a blessing and be a preservative. We as a church together should 
hopefully make people thirsty for Christ. And we as a church should shine the light of Christ as we reflect his light in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces, in the community where around us, to the world, on the mission field. We're called to do it together. And again, how do we get salty together? How do we become lit together? As we go to the source over and over, as we continue to go to Christ and worship him as a church, as individuals, as we continue to read his word and hear preaching of the word and do Bible studies together, and as we continue to study the word, obviously on our own as well, as we continue even in our fellowship to really bless each other with the love of Christ and the words of Christ, and as we continue to grow together in Christ, we are able to become, as a church, more and more salty and more and more lit for Christ as we reflect and bless others with his light, with his witness. And so my hope, my prayer this afternoon is that, that as a church, we would just look to Christ, worship him, love him, that we in our fellowship would point each other to Christ and continue to grow in Christ so that together as a church, we could be salt that we could be lit and help people become thirsty for Christ as we show them how truly good he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you and we worship you. For you are so good. Christ said he is the light of the world and now Jesus calls us, his people, that we are the light of the world, that we are to reflect that light, that we are the salt of the earth. And Father, we pray that we would take seriously this call to be a blessing to those around us, that we could show Christ to those around us, to be a witness for Christ. And we pray that through our words, through our actions, many will come to know Christ more and give glory to you. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.